This is the first sermon in an Advent series here at Beacon Light, and we'll be covering, indeed, this wondrous mystery of the coming of a king to take for himself what is due to him, that is a kingdom and a people, to make good on the promises that his father has been making since time immemorial, in which we see come to this pinnacle moment in which the great messenger of God, as seen in Daniel, the angel Gabriel, comes, this is his second coming actually in Luke, as he comes to Zechariah first to say that there will be a prophet who shall come, and that is John the Baptist, but then comes to Mary and says that a child shall come of you, one of the Holy Spirit. This is indeed the pinnacle, the climax of human history, leading to a greater climax of the cross and of the resurrection, awaiting the end of time as we know it, of which we wait for now. So let's pay careful attention to the reading of God's word. Please open your Bibles to Luke Chapter 1, we'll start at verse 26 and read through verse 38. That'll be our passage for this morning. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26 through to verse 38. This is the special word of the Lord to us. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Literally, I know not a man. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child to be born of you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let us give thanks in prayer. 
O Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you. Open up this word to us. Open it that we may understand. Open it that we may apply it to our hearts. Cause your spirit to apply it to our hearts, that it may bear witness in our souls, that it may transform us, that it may reform us, that it may cause us to turn away from sin, to turn unto Jesus Christ, the only chance and the only way of salvation, that we may know you truly as Father, that we may know the joy that Mary feels in this passage, and yet the fear of the Mighty One of Israel, the true and living God, you, our God. We pray all this asking in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this is the beginning of an Advent series here at Beacon Light. And we begin with this passage here because it sets the stage for what is to come. The word of the Lord comes to Mary through the messenger, the angel Gabriel. It's a beautiful moment. It's one that should cause us to think. That common trope we hear, the reason for the season, sometimes left vague, and sometimes people mean, oh, of course, Jesus is the reason for the season, but that's actually becoming more and more not the case. People are thinking that the reason for the season is the Christmas spirit. Whatever that is, it's for you to define, really. But it's not without reason that people say that. Do you remember the magic of Christmas when you were young? For those of you who are young, perhaps that magic is still there. There's the food, the family, the friends. There are memories being built. There are things taking place, the presence under the tree. Perhaps this wasn't your experience. For most of us, we had something of it, though it all looked different. But there's something about the chill in the air. There's a mystery to it. There's something about this time that feels different and feels special. And a lot of us also recognize when that magic starts to fade. People that you loved have passed on. Those recipes just don't taste the same, nor are you able to eat them how you used to. They have a greater consequence. The chill in the air no longer signals something of mystery and and excitement and more of a threat to your health. If I don't sound like proof. (laughs) But the magic fades, and where is our faith to be placed? That's why this passage is so important to ground us in what is truly the magic, though it's no magic, not in any sort of earthly sense. Magic, perhaps, and the greatness of it, as we often use that term synonymously. We must find our faith rooted in something other than the fading things of this world. Though we appreciate the things of this world, the good gifts that they are, 
Let us not put our hope, our trust, our faith, our belief in them. Because, dear saints, as you have experienced, a lot of times that magic does fade. And so, what we can bring out of this passage here is a theme that I think is all important. It's an imperative. We must believe the word concerning this child. We must believe the word concerning this child. It's an imperative. It is commanded to you. Believe. We must. And we will come to understand why in answering two questions. First, who is this child? And second, how shall we respond to the word? In other words, what does faith look like? A little context to our passage here. As I said, Gabriel has come already to Zacharias, or Zechariah, depending on what translation you're using, in the temple. He thinks he sees something of a ghost, a spirit. It's frightening. The angel, of course, then delivers the message that John will come, his child. And it brings us to our moment here that that message has been given, conception has taken place, and it is the sixth month. So you as the reader understand the timeline. Luke is laying this out for you in a very purposeful way. So who is this child? Now we come to our place in our passage. Who is this child? Now that Gabriel has finished that mission and has come to the next, and that is to visit Mary. Well, in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. God sends this angel to Nazareth. This is not his own prerogative. He goes on behalf of the one who sends him. He is a herald of the Lord. We don't often think of this in this way, but when a herald of the king, when someone who would go and announce the king's will, they spoke as the mouth of the king. In other words, people did not have the right to rebuff what was being said. They didn't have a right to rebut what was being said. They had to accept as if the king was standing there in their midst. And of course, that king being God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. But to a city called Nazareth. It's a generous term. You think of city, we think of Chicago, right? We live in a city here in Gary, in, in northwest Indiana. There's cities all around. Nazareth was more in the middle of nowhere. It was a place nobody has heard of. I can mention places where my family live near. Like, has anybody ever heard of Trinity, Alabama? Probably not. It doesn't even hardly show up on a map. You literally blink as you drive through it and you miss it. And that's more like what Nazareth was. There's nowhere. So a city, it may have had five, four or 500 people there. 
It was very small. Not like Nazareth today, which is actually legitimately a city. But it's not even named in the Old Testament. It's insignificant. But what is significant here is who dwells there and whose house they belong to. Notice that the angel doesn't lead, or the, the passage here, it doesn't lead in with Mary. It says, to the virgin, yes, but what? Before we even get her name, betrothed to, espoused to Joseph of the house of David. That's the important detail here. I mean, they're all important details, but this is the first detail that we should catch. This betrothment, this betrothal, this espousement, this is, this is a legal binding contract. This is not like an engagement today where we give a ring and say, I promise to marry you on such and such a date. No, this was legally binding, which is why in Matthew, Joseph, when he discovers that she is with child, though he doesn't know with, from the Holy Spirit, that he is going to give her a certificate of divorce quietly to put her away because she could also be punished by death. It was seen as adultery if the circumstances weren't revealed to be divine. This is deeply important, and especially so since the pedigree, the lineage given in both Matthew and in Luke, the genealogy is traced back to Joseph in the house of David. But it comes down then finally to Mary, which, by the way, is the Old Testament name Miriam. It's the same name. It means excellence or excellent one or exalted one. It's a beautiful name. It was probably, no doubt, a traditional name. But this young girl, she was probably about 14, 15 years old, legally bound to Joseph, happily bound to Joseph, looking forward to marriage, which would probably take place in about a year or so. The angel comes, and he gives a greeting in verse 28, and it's threefold. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And in the margin, it, it reads, Blessed are you among women, which is echoed in verse 42 later by Elizabeth, who says, Blessed art thou amongst women. And then, of course, Mary, a few verses later in verse 48, will say, All generations shall call me blessed. But the greeting is literally, Grace to you, O one that has been graced. Grace to you, one that has been graced. God is with you. This is not an empty saying. This isn't passing somebody and saying, howdy. This is saying that God is with you. He's favored you. He's given you grace upon grace, and you are blessed among women for the purpose that he has elected her to serve. In verse 29, though, she is perplexed. She is pensive. She is fearful. She's pondering deeply, what kind of greeting is this? Dear saints, we think of angels 
as sometimes fat babies with little tiny wings, with little tiny bows and arrows in in the shape of a heart. The angels were frightening creatures of power. It's why whenever they are witnessed, people nearly die out of fear. It's why people drop to their knees, fall on their face, and say, I will worship you, whatever it is you want. That's the power of an angel. And so she is fearful. What kind of greeting is this? Because if he does not come in peace, she is doomed. We have a low view of angels here. And we must have a high view, as the text has. She is frightened, and yet she's received word of grace to you. What comes next? This is a big deal. This is not simply pick up more milk from the store. This is a huge message. And Gabriel knows. Look how compassionate this mighty angel sent from God. So double the authority there. He alleviates her fears. What does he say? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. He reiterates, Mary, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Grace is upon you. No harm shall befall you. Lo, the Lord is with you always and forever. It's interesting because it's exactly what is said to Zechariah. If you look at verse 13, because fear fell upon him when Zechariah saw him, he says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. And then a reason for your prayers have been heard. She has grace before God, dear saints, as you do. She need not fear her destruction. She need not fear her being cast into the place of outer darkness. No, she has the grace of God upon her. And so the angel continues with his message that he must urgently deliver. Verses 31 through 33. It's the heart of the message. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Matthew gives the meaning of that name. Luke doesn't give the meaning. It's not the purpose for his, for his writing this gospel to Theophilus and ultimately to us today, showing a different angle of everything that, math, that Matthew is trying to focus on. But Matthew does helpfully fill out that detail. Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, God saves his people. God saves his people He is the rescuer, the savior of his people. That's what this name Jesus means. 
And what will he do? What, what is going to happen? He's going, the name tells you that he's going to rescue his people, but what does the angel go on to say? He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He's given a status already of greatness. Greatness beyond all others. You should be hearing in your minds Psalm 2. I have set my king on my mountain, the anointed king. You had better kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. O ye nations, pay heed for the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God of God is here and he shall be great before you. How can that be? We don't understand the Davidic line so definitively to be the Messiah, do we? Relationship. He shall be the son of the most high. Son of God. Come in flesh. He'll be given the kingdom that rightly belongs to him, the kingdom of David. 2 Samuel 7. Psalm 89. This belongs to Jesus by every right. It is what David was always meant to show forth in a shadow form. The promise given to David was ultimately being made to Jesus Christ. And that's going to be shown by his being adopted by Joseph, raised in the house of David. Dear saints, do we have a low view of this adoption? We don't know much about Joseph Quite frankly, Joseph, we know he's a righteous man. He's a humble man. And I think he would agree that he wanted to be out of the way of the limelight. It's his house that is important. And yet God has called upon him, the Father in heaven, to be the father of his only begotten son. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. A father must be present in the home to raise the Son of God, that he may grow in stature and wisdom before God and man. This is so important. And in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. This is all of Israel under one united kingdom again, under one united king again, never to be parted, never to be drawn away from each other, never to have civil war ever again. And his kingdom shall have no end, neither in time nor in space. Dear saints, unless you have Jewish blood in you, you are a Gentile. And that promise is to you right there. And Luke is making that forefront. In fact, if you read the rest of his gospel, what is Luke concerned more than anything? And then if you read the second part of his work, that is Acts, what is happening? It is the Gentiles being included with the Jews. It is God's people being united, a priesthood of nations. We have the people coming together as one under a king who shall never see his throne undone. That's who this child is. 
This is the word concerning this child. Do you believe it? This brings us to our second point. How shall we respond to the word? How do we have faith in this word given to us? Look at Mary's verbal response now. She had a nonverbal response before. She's perplexed. She's frightened. But now we have a verbal response. Dear saints, before we be too fearful of saying, oh, the Bible gives us examples to live by, and saying, oh, we should never do that. We should never look at biblical characters as examples. That's not what the Bible does. Luke is very purposefully setting up Mary as an example of somebody to look to who has faith. Very importantly. And it's why it's contrasted so heavily from Zechariah. But before you think that Mary is purely a moral figure that we look to, we need to understand, as was brought out, the grace that she has. And dear saints, this is not what Roman Catholics get wrong when it's translated, Hail Mary, full of grace. It's a wrong translation. It's a wrong prayer. We should never, ever utter those words from our lips as a prayer. Ever. It is idolatry of the highest order. And nor would Mary want you to. So how do we look to Mary as an example, but also recognize that it's not merely an example, but there's something that God is doing and why she's been held forth through Luke by God under inspiration of the Holy Spirit as an example. And that is because, as was said earlier, grace to you, one given grace. Grace, 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 grace. It is four times over. Grace to you, one given grace. God is with you, i.e. grace. Fear not, for God has favored you. Grace. In case you didn't get the picture, Mary has grace with God. Not of her own merit, but because of God's righteousness. Covering Mary. Setting her apart. It's no mere moral challenge to have more faith, but she's legitimately being held up as a person who has grace, as you do, and how to exercise that, as you were called to do. Verse 34, she asks the logical question, how will this be? Saying as I know not a man. She has not had sexual relations with anybody. She knows that this is not just referring to down the road, when you and Joseph get married and consummate the marriage, the child is going to come by that. No, she knows that this is something different. She asks how. This is very different from Zechariah and him asking the angel, how shall I know this? In verse 18, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. 
how will I know? Versus, how would this be? There's a subtle difference there, saints. Understand this. Before, before we're too harsh on Zechariah, before we're too hard on this man, understand that when, he, when the angel answers him, for your prayers have been answered, he's probably looking back through the catalog going, what prayers? What prayers? We haven't prayed that in probably decades. We were done praying it. We never had a child. It didn't happen for us. We must move on. So how am I going to know this? Don't you feel a little bit of the tinge of pain that he has? Wouldn't you also feel maybe a bit mocked? He's skeptical. Think Abraham in Genesis 17. He falls on his face, laughs within himself, and says, within himself. He thinks his thoughts are secret before the angel of the Lord. <laughs> Not true. The angel knew exactly what was happening. How will it be that a child would be born of a man who's 100 years old to a woman 90 years old? It is laughable. In fact, Sarah is going to laugh in the next chapter, in chapter 18 in Genesis. That's what you see happening, echoed, except for Elizabeth didn't laugh. It seemed that she responded with faith. But Zechariah is struck dumb. It's actually where we get our term, dumbstruck. He can't speak. So think about that next time you open your mouth in indignation. <laughs> but this is a logical question that Mary is asking, but it's coming from a place of belief. How will this be? Truly, how is this going to be? She needs to know so she can complete whatever mission she needs to complete. And this is the relevant This beautiful passage here, this beautiful part of our text. Revelation is given. Proof of a miracle by another miracle is given. A climactic statement about God's ability and then a response in faith. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child to be born of you will be called holy, the Son of God. Son of God, Son of Man. Dear saints, if we do not believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, then we do not believe in Jesus Christ. We're going to confess that here soon in the creed. But Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. It is truly the faith. You must hold this. And this is a small glimpse of that it's a short statement, a powerful statement, but let us not miss the statement 
this doctrine is being set forth, fully God, fully man. We're not given much more than that because these are mysteries too grand for the mind to hold. We can speculate with a sanctified speculation, but we must recognize that it is just sanctified speculation because we're not given any more. We don't need any more. It's not for us to figure out. This is not some science experiment. We're not going to exhaust the mysteries of God. We just know that they happen. How we respond in faith to this. Look at verse 36. Proof is given to Mary to say that a lesser miracle has happened already. How will you know this, Mary? Basically answering the question she's not even asking, by the way. You will know because it's already happened. A lesser miracle has already happened for that's preceding your greater miracle that's going to come upon you. In fact, all the miracle births of the Bible are pointing forward to this miracle birth. Every single one of them are pointing forward to this virgin birth. The lesser used to prove the greater. Dear saints, when you read the Bible, and every year you should read the Bible, it will not leave you empty. It will pay off exponentially. But you're going to see, especially if you read it in, 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 in order from pay or cover to cover, you're going to see from the lesser miracles to the greater miracles. From the lesser miracles to the greater miracles. It's always pointing forward that way. Elizabeth, according to man, etched in stone, is as good as done, barren. She will be nothing more than that. God says otherwise. Let all men be liars. Elizabeth has a child already growing in her womb six months. Mary, you will have a child after this conversation, after this time, after this visit. Nothing is impossible for God to do. Dear saints, as amazing as this birth is, and it is, it is the greatest birth ever. No mother has this honor, and being a mother is one of the highest honors that a human being can hold. In fact, it is the highest honor that a human being can have if they have been given the ability, if it's been given to them by God. I can go on more about that, but let us recognize the greatness of being a mother and men for as fathers to be a part of that because they can't do it alone and nor should they be made to. But what's even greater What's implied in this verse, nothing is impossible for God, is the greater miracle, and that is the birth from above. Every single one of you who have put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have been born from above. You've been given new birth. Let the miracle that is happening to Mary, promised to Mary, 
let that be an echo in your mind of the miracle that has happened in you to give you new life in Christ. This child that has been promised, giving you new life, the only way to have new life. And you want to see a beautiful image of faith. Look at the closing verse. When Mary responds, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you respond in times of trial that way? I had a cold and I hardly responded in that way this week. I was racked with, with grief, as in prayer, wrestling, and I had a cold. Dear saints, don't you feel your frailty at times? Don't you see that your faith is weak at times? Don't you see the need to have your faith strengthened? And don't you see the beauty of what Mary is doing here? She could be ridiculed. She could lose her marriage. She could be stoned to death as an adulteress. But she has faith that whatever comes, the will of God be done. And by the way, servant is not a strong enough term here. She literally says, not that I may serve God. No, may I be a slave to God. Bind me in chains. Drive the nail through my ear that I may be yours forever. That, the force of that is absolute. The resolve in the face of fear is absolute. We know the end. She doesn't yet. She's a child, practically. Yet she consents to the Lord. She sees his love for her. That this child is not just a child to give her the joys of motherhood. This child is her Savior and her Lord. She doesn't know, but as Simeon's going to say, her soul will be pierced. She will grieve to see her son die on the cross, and yet she will know it's so very necessary for her salvation and for everybody she loves. So, dear saints, when the magic fades, when the cares of this world become so great, when our frailty is felt, do you recognize the grace upon grace given to you? Do you read this passage here and see that grace upon grace given to your sister in the faith, Mary? Do you see the response to that grace in faith? And do you seek to exercise that faith based upon grace in all your trials, including the trials of prosperity where you were tempted to turn away and place your faith in other things?
to find the magic elsewhere. Let us respond truly in faith according to the grace we have in this child. May we believe the word about him that's been given. May we not doubt it. Dear saints, in an appropriate way, let us look at what Mary's faith is as powerful. But moreover, let us look to that child that's been promised to her. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we truly are weak, but you are strong. Lord, we truly are in need, and you are the only one that can provide. Lord, whatever worldly things we cling to, Lord, banish it from us, take it from us. Whatever things that are crowding out our hearts, alleviate that from us. Lord, be kind to us and gracious to us. Give us faith. Lord, faith that we see in Mary and greater. May we have resolve in the face of fearful things, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. May this Advent season be one where we truly reflect upon your goodness. May it not be just some rote, repeated thing year after year. May it truly be something that dawns upon us and gives us renewal and reform. May this church be truly a beacon of light in a place where such darkness reigns. May the gospel go forth with might and power, bringing many sons to glory. May we believe the word concerning this child today. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.